Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Potomaro, and Hats on Lamps. How's it going, Hats? I'm good. How are you doing? Um, I've been better, but we'll oh. hear about that later. Okay. Uh, it's episode 66. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week... Um, we're going to be talk. We're going to rank the top commons in each color, as well as the top uncommons. We're finally going to put that out there. I've been avoiding this episode because Hats hates ranking things. But then I left him to his own devices last week, and then he just ranked things anyway. So I figured I, I ranked things beyond the Call of Duty, <laughs> yeah. beyond what anyone wanted me to do. <laughs> so. I, I, think, I think the takeaway, the takeaway is not that I don't like ranking things. It's that I don't like being told to rank things. <laughs> I see. I'm going to have to, these episodes, they don't have to be, start being a little bit more reverse psychology. Yeah. The, everything, anytime you hear enthusiasm for, from me, it's because I've been tricked. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we're going to rank the top commons and, uh, top uncommons of each of the colors and to kind of talk a little bit about those um, So but let's begin. So how was your draft week? My draft week was fine I don't remember exactly what happened in it, but I do remember Winning some drafts and 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 losing others. I'm mostly winning. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much in my comfort zone there uh, I've, I've noticed that when I play has a great uh, great big effect on, on on how well I do. Um, if I play sort of during the day on a weekday, then I uh, I do I do tend to face uh, opposition that isn't just like one top twenty masters opponent after another. Because so I think most of most of those players are playing during the evenings. So there is part of me that's like maybe I don't want to just go through the ringer every single time I draft so I'll draft I'll draft a little earlier during the day if I have that option yeah that's what I I found that a little bit too I find early morning works pretty well as long as you don't get hit with Kolebovich sure uh, I'm so far off of being on Kolebovich's schedule that I, I don't think I've ever played him in a draft ever so because <laughs> I'm a little bit of a night owl, night owl and he's on the other side of the world so it's, it's easy we just avoid each other completely <laughs> yeah I, I catch him during my morning bathroom break sure sure very often but um how was uh how was your draft week oh well I thank you for asking Hats. oh you're welcome I actually didn't draft at all this week and then I had this whole spiel about how I had a horrible week because I managed to lose to Parmalee of the Misplay podcast in Throne. Mm -hmm. And him being a dirty nutdecker, and I was just playing Throne with my little homebrew, my rats playing Torgov's trading post, and then I get stuck on two power, and then he barely beats me, and it was a horrible week because he's pretty much the heel of the eternal podcasting world. Of the whole of the whole eternal podcasting world, you say? Yeah, I would say. I would say probably generally disliked by everyone. I'm uh, just all all the people who listen to podcasts and yeah. Play so Eternal. it was super. It was super embarrassing. I felt really bad about myself. Uh huh. Because but, of that one game. Mm -hmm. Yep. But then an hour and a half before this podcast um, started, I uh, I dropped 
my one ton three bottom plow on my foot and um see when you said when you said but i thought maybe you meant that things had turned around and there was some good news <laughs> but that sounds worse well i think it's not broken okay um but it really hurt so i i Decided to forgive Parmalee for beating me earlier because it seems not not as important anymore. Now that no, my... no, at least you didn't. At least you didn't drop a plow on your foot. <laughs> exactly. It really, it really put you things in into context. <laughs> really put things into context. You know, you know who's really hated in the podcast world uh, is that plow. <laughs> People really don't like it. Exactly. I agree. It's not popular. I wish it would. I wish it would stay out of our community. I was saved this this um, this summer. I've been wearing Crocs instead of sandals uh, for the summer. Yeah, Crocs and have structure. Crocs have structured, and it, I think it saved my foot actually. Wow! Are I you sliced all... through it, but jeez, are you all? Should we be doing this? Are you okay to sit down? Are you on heavy painkillers right now? No, no, I just have I have an ice pack. Okay, that's good. I mean, I hobbled my way up to our other tractor and got a chain and I lifted the plow back up. So it's now hooked onto the tractor, which is what I was trying to do when I dropped it on my foot. Okay. But now we're good. Great. That's good to hear. Shall okay. we move on to announcements? Yeah, let's do that. So yeah, we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash farming eternal. It's not a GoFundMe yet. Um, TBD. <laughs> but if you'd like to participate in the Patreon, for as little as a dollar a month, you can gain access to our show notes and recording bloopers and have your name read here. So our veteran patrons are Stephen R., Mercurial Blue, Abinago, Meagles, Madness, Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Cassandrith, Jed the Homerade, Raven Dragon, Esrit0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yes Stout. So thank you once again for making this show possible. We really appreciate all your contributions. Yes, we do. Yeah. And then we do have a listener of the week. Um, again, when I was playing Constructed this week, uh, uh, it turns out a listener of the week, Slamgo, friended me after the game and thanked us for doing the podcast and said it's great and they love listening to it. So I really appreciated it. And that really inspired me to, um, I checked our downloads, checked how big my friends list was and noticed that there was like a huge discrepancy of about 170 people that have not friended me and thanked us for doing the podcast yet. Then as I was compiling the list of everyone who listens, who's not on my friend list, I noticed one thing. Freaking Jedi EJ. He unfriended me. Okay. Unbelievable. We were friends, no longer friends. Look, I understand. Popular podcast. He has a great drafting focused podcast. Super popular stream. Runs charity tournaments. Uh-huh. But he's no longer my friend. This Caesar the like crowd real... pleaser. He's not pleasing like... me. I am not pleased right now. Okay. That seems like a real weird call out to be serious, <laughs> because for, you know that there's a limit on the number of friends that you can have in the game, right? Yeah, and he had 200 other choices. He picks me. Okay. So right. Jedi EJ and all 172 other of you are on notice. Is all. Uh -huh. I'm saying. 
<laughs> I just all right, all right. I'm not gonna argue with you, but um, because I don't even know how I would approach it, honestly. I can't. Bl- <laughs> I don't even. I'm so taken aback. But uh, also, I haven't. Your Jedi ever... EJ appeaser over here. No, no, it's not. It's not that. I just. I. I every now and then have to call my friends list, and sometimes I'm sure that I've taken people off the list that I should have stayed friends with because I just didn't remember what our last interaction was. And so there's probably people who are like right now sitting home just fuming, like, why did Hatsun Lamps unfriend me? And yeah. it's because well, they should I get forgot their own podcast and then they could talk so about then it. They could complain about it for the first third of the podcast. <laughs> so back to our main topic, those who done Patamaru wrong, yes. <laughs> including farming implements. <laughs> it's been one of those weeks. It sure has. But Slamgo, you're one of the good ones. <laughs> you are one of one of the few, the brave. If only I'd written down the person who friended me. <sighs> yeah, see, this is the kind of thing. You friend me, you get thanked on the show. You friend Hats, he's like, oh yeah, someone uh, maybe friended me. I kind of forget. I don't know, was that last week, this week? I appreciate it when people do it, I do. Forgot, forgot to write it down. Yeah, I didn't know that that was something we were doing. Listen, we have a whole section called Listener of the Week in the show notes. I didn't know this was what it was for. I thought it was for I thought it was for people who participated in the Discord and were like, you know. Because we've had many weeks where we haven't had a Listener of the Week. I know. It's rare when we do that. Well, I didn't know there were people friending you all the time. Yeah. I'm sorry. I wasn't, if, it would be like bragging. So I didn't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so don't bring it up every time. That is below me. <laughs> <laughs> you have told me before that people don't friend you in the game for some reason. <laughs> and when they do, they unfriend me. <laughs> so that's why I'm not, not going to tell you about all the people who friend me in the game and then stay friends with me because I don't understand it and it would be, you know, again, it would be braggy. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see if that segment makes it. <laughs> We'll see if any of that just All right. sounds, seems like a good 20 minute blooper though. Well, Eric G. Haugen did say that he he wanted us to have more fun while recording the podcast again. We're doing it. That's what so that's what I was trying to bring into it. Okay. Anyway, Jet Jedi is also a very serious person, so I just want to say for the record, I'm not actually mad at Jedi. I understand he ran some tournaments. Probably had to defriend me. Yeah, he probably had to friend a lot of people so he could communicate with them in-game. That's true. Yeah. He, I mean, he did pick me. It wasn't a 200-person tournament. I watched it, but... Sure, sure. sure. You know, oh, you know, who, you know who friended me in-game? The the plow that you dropped on your foot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big fan of the podcast. It, is, it hasn't friended you. <laughs> I got <yet>, no... <laughs> No, he dropped on my foot and was like, oh, I, wait, you're Padomar? I would have never guessed. I never would have, I never would have tried to cripple you <laughs> if I'd known. Oh, I'm a big fan. Yeah, especially the hats on Lambs guy. He's so funny. <laughs> I like that your plow has like, has like a Bronx accent. <laughs> All right. That's probably right. not... I don't know the New York accents, even though I've lived here for, for a few years now. I've lived in New York. Not the city my whole life, but... 
I don't understand accents at all. All right. So card of the week? Card of the week. I chose for my card of the week, Dune Diver. Dune Diver is a time uncommon. Uh, It costs three time time. It's a 1-6, and then it has two abilities that activate if you have the appropriate influence. If you have two justice influence, it gets war cry. If you have two shadow influence, it gets unblockable. And I chose this because uh, I've been impressed with it when my opponents have played it against me, especially when I'm trying to be any kind of aggressive or attack at all. Uh, and I think it's just sort of interesting because it doesn't look all that special, but it just matches up very well against... Um, other units in the format because there's a lot of units that have five power but there's not very many that have six so it uh, it gains you a massive amount of life if your deck is trying to kind of hang out and play more powerful cards and reduce the amount of damage that you're taking early on Um, it's uh, this is the same format where there's a three five for three which is similar that's the justice common Um, but uh, there are plenty of things that do have five power, and so sometimes the three five will have to trade for those. Well, Dune Diver just hangs out forever, and then eventually starts to get a t- uh, start uh, gets to start attacking for some value. So uh, I, I just sort of think it's interesting. It's interestingly powerful, um, just because of the makeup of the units in the format. Like I, I can see it being a weak card in other formats, but in this one, if you're trying to defend yourself, uh, it's it's a, a very efficient way. Of doing that, so mm-hmm. uh, it's gone up in my pick order a little bit because I want it. I want it to have the same kind of results that it's had for my opponents when I when I'm trying to attack and kill them, and I just can't because it's a stupid one six that I cannot break through. Yeah, I I still think I like Caravan Guardian better. Oh. Yeah, I think I think Caravan Guard uh, is sort of more dramatically better because it can block and kill more things. Right. Um, for sure, uh, but there is sort of that threshold where where at some point you're going to start playing stuff with five power, or you know, like uh, boost your flame heart patroller to five power one turn or something, and right. and then the caravan guard finally has to die, whereas dune diver can can just sort of hang out forever, um, and. I, so I don't know if it's better, but it's in another faction, so it, it doesn't have to be better. It just has to be. It just has to be different. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess you know because I had the same experience with Dune Diver that you had, where it's been pretty good a, a few times against me on my opponent's side, and then I I put it in a few drafts, and I feel like there's some tension in the card, and I don't know if I was playing it wrong or maybe I didn't have it in the right decks, but like. One of the things is it does like gain you life by being able to block, but because it's never killing the you know the the opposing unit really, I got into these situations where my opponent could just keep attacking into it, and then when they finally did have a trick, just kill it and never really lose their unit. And the other thing is the I, f- I feel like the two um, abilities that it can gain are like weirdly at tension <laughs> with the card where you're sort of using this as a caravan guard of just like sitting there and blocking and then it gets these two uh, sort of semi-aggressive keywords and 
and I get that there's supposed to be added bonus, but it, for me, it felt like it added this weird tension where I'm like, well, I, I guess, do I take the free Warcry trigger or do I just like keep it back to just like keep bouncing units or like, you know, so there's always, it felt like there was this weird tension. And so for me, it felt less good than when my opponents played it against me. And I wonder if it's, it like, it, I, or I think it's probably obviously true. It like really excels against certain decks and then other decks it's not as good against. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think it sort of has to be part. I'm not saying like it's an amazing card. I've just sort of been more yeah. impressed with it than I thought I would be. Uh, and it's uh, it, it does have to be part of an overall strategy of, of playing other cards that are going to have more of an impact by themselves. Because, yeah, like it's not going to kill very many attackers. So your opponent will sort of gradually go wide against it and chip in some damage and stuff. Um and then when it does attack, it's not killing anyone. It's just sort of getting a little bit of extra value here and there. Um, although it is sort of, I mean, I don't know. It's sort of fun if you do. It's a fun thing to, like, if you have also Midnight Hunt in your deck, if you're Xenon, it's a fun thing to just throw the second casting of Midnight Hunt on and then just go in for a big whack of damage if that's in your deck. I guess right. that's just one small interaction. But it's a little, you know, it's a little bonus because sometimes Midnight Hunt, uh, the second casting doesn't really do that much uh anyway um yeah uh um yeah it uh, it has to be part of i've i've noticed that with if i'm going to be playing a card like dune diver that that purposefully delays the game and that's most of what it's for then you really need a few cards in your deck that you're delaying the game for and it's not just sort of generally delaying the game you want to have a bomb or two you want to have something that can really do some damage and the dune diver is there so you get to so that you're more likely to play that um and so i, I kind of like cards that aren't just like oh i see that card and it's definitely a card that i should always play because it's a it's it's uh it blocks, it attacks, it has a special ability, and it does all of those things well. Dune Diver clearly doesn't do everything well. Um, it just, uh, but it, it's one of the many cards in this set that enable other cards to do their thing. Uh, and in Dune Diver's case, keeping you alive long enough for you to start doing those things. So um, it's a control card. Uh, and time plays control very well in this format because it draws cards, it ramps, and it has big things to play that win the game later. Right. All true. Yes. What's your card of the week? Um, my card of the week is Valiant Leap. And we spoke about this card um, uh, probably a few weeks ago now, and you kind of talked about how important it was for who decks. And as a reminder, Valiant Leap is uh, two primal primal. It's a fast spell. It says revenge. Give one of your units flying and overwhelm this turn. And if you have justice, justice, it also gets plus two, plus two this turn. Yes. Um, and the reason I wanted to talk about this is, as a short aside, um, Meagles, who is a patron and um, sometimes active in the Discord, messaged me uh, a few weeks ago. And he is a data scientist, data something or other. And he kind of, he wanted to know if he could have like a short segment in the podcast, sort of taking on uh, Ben Gracer's old role of just kind of looking at the data and maybe giving us a little tidbit or two. And mm -hmm. uh, so this is 
kind of related to his first little tidbit, uh, is Valiant Leap. What Meagles noticed is, and we're going to talk about this later too, but like Flameheart Patroller is our top common. And, or is the common that has the most representation. But what's interesting about Flameheart Patroller is it's the number one card in Rakano decks, but it's only in half the Rakano decks that we have deck lists for. Okay. So even though there are a lot of Flameheart Patrollers, only half the decks have any copy of them. But the decks that do have a copy have a lot of them. And what that kind of makes one think is that the Rakano decks kind of have multiple styles of Rakano deck. There's probably like a heavy fire one that has a lot of Flameheart Patrollers, um, probably a lot of Corrosive Daggers. But then there's also a Justice like a heavy justice style Rokano deck that probably relies on the uh, the justice two drop, uh, the chain whip bludgeoner. But in Huru decks, fourteen of our seventeen Huru decks have Valiant Leap, and usually yeah. multiple copies. And so, what that kind of says is like Huru, as compared to Rokano, really has one style of deck. And that's a deck that wants to play as many Valiant Leaps as possible. Yeah, uh, I think um, it's an unambiguously powerful card once you're in Huru. Whereas, yes. the, and then there's, there's, I don't think there's even an equivalent common of any in any of the other. I think it's. <laughs> I don't think there's another common that's so obviously great uh, once you're in the deck that can play it. You yes. know, Dark Fire is uh, similar in a way because you're you're going to want to play it if you're in Stone Scar, but it's also a five drop and it's not unambiguously amazing because at least it makes your curve more expensive. Whereas Valiant Leap is efficient and, uh, and powerful. <laughs> like there's nothing wrong with it. Like you're never sacrificing anything by putting the Valiant Leap in your deck as long as you are in Huru. Uh, so yeah, not a surprise to me that it would be, it would be that prevalent. Yeah, so that's really all I wanted to say. Is it was just kind of interesting to kind of look at like how certain faction pairings rely on cards more than others, and Huru seems to be a faction pairing with a strong sort of signal like Valiant Leap, and it's not actually that strong of a pairing on its own, and sort of rides on the coat heels of Valiant Leap. Or maybe Valiant Leap is the reason you get into that color. You know, it's always hard to know. Yeah, I did actually have a Huru deck that went um, that went 7-1 and played no Valiant Leaps. But... Yeah, you're made, one of the three. Yeah, I'm one of the three. Um, but it made up for it by playing a Tavrod and a pre-nerf to loot the Iron Gate. So <laughs> that may have made up for the lack of power <laughs> that, the, that the absence of Valiant Leaps indicated. So I can't. I, I guess that's not really a great example. <laughs> no, so well, it is possible to draft a Huru deck without Valiant Leaps. Kind of the exception that proves the rule, really. Yeah. All right. And that uh, will, I think, lead us well into the 7-1 run breakdown, because that's what Meagles use to come up with that 
little tidbit there. So for those of you who don't know, we have a long-standing data collection project, project here at Farming Eternal, where our listeners or hosts of the show uh, send us in their seven-win drafts at farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them to the Discord in the seven-win channel in exported decklist or Eternal Warcry link. And then we take that information, we put it into a spreadsheet that kind of breaks down what factions are doing well. And then Meagles is now also taking that data. And this is something we used to do a lot too. And sort of just like figuring out what cards are showing up a lot uh, because we're able to do that too. And another benefit for that is we shout out everyone who submitted a list this week. So um, thanks, thanks again to John Holio for hunting all the lists and Meagles for doing some analysis of it. And so here we go. So our new contributors are Cotillion and Shadow Mage 196. And our veteran contributors are Agent Dynamo, Alabazoo, Beard Broken, Clint McCool, Collector, Commander Salamander, Darth Herman 2, Hats on Lamps, Induku, Ip Long No, Iris M, Loki Trickster, Meagles, Mercurial Blue, Ulrich, Out on a Limb, Shab, Smiley Z, Spiffy Man, Sunblaze, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Twin Hex, and Vader. Awesome. Thank you all for the lists. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the only main thing other than what uh, I said in our card of the week that I wanted to mention is this week we had a surge in Rakano decks. So Rakano decks are... <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are, uh, are now our far and above the number one deck. Okay. Yeah. Well, so. uh, I, I very much doubt I was responsible for, for that at all. Oh, never mind. I did have a Rakano deck this week. So I guess I am part of the problem. You're, you're part of the problem, yeah. 42 of our 223 lists. So not that many, but our um, Rakano. So that's like 19% of our lists. Again, you'd expect 10% or less, kind of, if okay. everything was equal. And then next on the list are Combray and Praxis, but w with 28 or 29 so pretty large gap in the number of lists. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, also, that's that leaves two factions out entirely, doesn't it? In the top three. In the top three, right? It's yes. just the combination. It's just whatever combination of time, fire, and justice you can put together. Uh, that is the most likely to get you seven wins, according to our spreadsheet. <laughs> it is, yes. Good. I'm just restating that. In layman's terms. <laughs> I will say, if you go one step down, the ne the fourth and fifth are uh, Stone Scar, so Fire Shadow, and Xenon, so Time Shadow. So that's okay. where Shadow appears. Yeah. And then Feln is just a real, it was just a real challenge. Feln is a real challenge. Argent Port are our two worst ducks. Yeah, okay. All right, that all makes sense. Yeah, I guess I don't have any insight about that. Uh, for, one, for, for one thing, I personally haven't had as much luck with the most powerful decks as people en masse seem to. Uh, like, I have a difficult time... <clears throat> excuse me. I have a difficult time winning with Rakano for some reason. Uh, I'm, just, I'm not sure why. I just don't seem to be able to figure out exactly where 
where the oomph is behind that deck. Uh, and so I haven't been able to draft it very consistently. Like the Rakano deck that I turned in doesn't really count because it had Nidius in it. And, you know, like it was a deck sort of built around huge a huge bomb rather than just uh, Surge or, or anything like that. Um, and then Praxis, I, who boy, I have drafted several Praxis decks that looked good, but then just didn't do very well. Because um, it seemed like I had powerful cards, but then, uh, but then they just it just sort of uh, was too clunky to uh, to play the cards. Like you know, Praxis has this problem where um, there's there's sort of no mid game. Uh, most of your good cards are either cheap or expensive, which means that if you have the wrong cards in your hand at the wrong time, then you get you get in trouble. You have them in the, at the right time; it's very powerful. But uh, maybe I'm building the deck wrong. But uh, and maybe I, if I'm drafting Praxis, then I need to be looking for those those threes and fours to really bind the whole thing together. But uh, I've I've struggled at getting a winning deck. But Combray, I do fine with for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, you. I would feel like a good mid range or you know middle of the curve card is the um, the three cost four one with the K. But sort of using it as a defensive unit to like. Oh sure, it's very good at that. Yeah, yeah, that's part of the deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're I, I, there, but it, I think you can get into a tricky thing that happens in this format where, you, I mean, like especially when you're talking about fire cards, like if you're in Praxis, but times your main color and fires like slightly cut, you know, like a lot of the fire cards can get taken because, you know, sort of everyone's drafting fire sure it feels like so then you don't get these sort of like the good slash above average you know above average cards in your second color and then you know if your deck is kind of relying on that it can be kind of a thing yeah i guess so i guess it's part of that sort of self-correcting aspect of draft where everybody knows that fire is good so yeah because it's kind of weird because i feel like practice when you just like look at all the fire and all the time cards you're like there is definitely a deck here. Yeah, you know what I mean. And um, yeah, getting the ratios right on stuff like uh, stuff like Ancient Machinist and and the actual spells that activate Ancient Machinist and, and that kind of thing can be a little tricky, I think, because you don't mm-hmm. want to just have a bunch of expensive spells in your deck necessarily. Um, so uh, I think, but I, I think it's a powerful but inconsistent deck, and I just have to focus on making it more consistent when I draft it, I guess. Um, I just haven't had very good luck with it myself. Oh, I guess yeah. That's maybe that's the other thing is I never think of it as a five cost spells deck. I just think of it yeah. as like sort of like how I don't think of the Cambrai deck as uh, a ramp deck. I just think of it as like a deck with really good cards in it. And I, sure. I feel like Praxis, you can kind of make the similar style deck. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, certainly you can play it as a ramp deck. All right. Shall we move on to our main topic? For sure, let's do it. Okay. Well, so what we're gonna do here uh, is is uh, name the top three commons in each of the five factions, and contrast and compare, and then what we consider to be the top uncommon in each faction, uh, and then I guess we'll be able to compare that with with what the spreadsheet is telling us is the most popular commons as well. Yeah, exactly. We um, like I said, Meagles did a little bit of spreadsheet work, and he has. Kind of interesting. He has just like the top commons, so just straight up. But then he also sort of 
aggregated that, I don't know the right word, but did some magic and has the top commons of all of the color pairs. Okay, so, well, well, we'll dive into that number dome when we reach it. Uh, so, so shall, we, uh, shall we go through our list? Yeah, yeah, fire, uh, commons, hats, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> My my top three. Uh, I I don't know how to introduce this. I'm just gonna say them. Yeah, uh, my t- my 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 number one is is chemical rounds. I think is the over. Oh, you know what I wanted to say before we started this. This is the source of my confusion. I just wanted to say that I rank these according to if I'm going pack one, pick one. Like this is the overall strongest one because especially in this format. But maybe I say this in every format. The commons go way up and way down in value when I realize what my deck is trying to do. Uh, but if I'm just looking like blank, like, hey, this is the card that's probably going to make my deck, this is how I'm ranking them. So, number one, chemical rounds. Uh, the one uh, costs one fire, does two damage, it's a slow spell, it has decay. So the damage it does is permanent. Uh, number two is fire symbol. I would pick fire symbol, which uh, is a power that comes into play depleted but supplies two fire influence over almost any other fire common because i think it enables uh all of the others to do their jobs and then number three flame heart patroller um it's a terrible card on defense but it is it does attack well and it's a one three for two that uh gets uh plus two attack for the turn when uh when it surges whenever it gains a point of influence all right and then uh my top three is uh, chemical rounds, corrosive dagger, and flame heart patroller. Yeah. So our main difference is in the number two spot. Um, what's kind of interesting, actually, is of all the symbols, the fire symbol um, is actually the the third most prevalent of all the symbols. So number one is justice, and number two is time. Yeah. Which is which is also even more surprising because fire is our most common faction so you would expect just by volume it might even be a little bit of you know it gets like a little volume bonus just because we have more fire decks than others you Um, would expect that yeah there's a lot of cards that sort of have to that that sort of have to have justice influence i think the the presence of things like um smogwing tinker and caravan guard injustice which mm-hmm. require four justice influence to even summon, and for, in the case of Caravan Guard, five justice influence to attack, make it feel like you need justice symbols in order to play some of the best commons. Whereas in fire, you don't need a lot of fire symbols to play the, uh, you don't need a lot of fire influence to play the best commons, but that does make Corrosive Dagger dramatically better if you've got ways of generating fire influence. Um, and it makes Flame Heart Patroller. Oh, yeah, yeah, it does. It makes it a, a significantly better attacker if you've got a couple of fire symbols. There's, there's not really that many ways in in the format of genu- of uh, of generating extra influence. Like there's some very notable ones, um, but but most of them aren't at common. And so having uh, having having an on faction way to generate two influence in a turn seems very important for the surge deck. So. That's uh, that's why I, that's why I picked them up so early. If I'm in fire, I'm excited to see fire symbols. If I think I'm going to be in fire, yes, I I agree. You know, uh, this is the one difference is I kind of was not necessarily like pack one pick one. I'm 
I kind of was like excited, rated this on cards that pull me into a faction or I'm like excited to see sure, a, li- yeah. a little bit stronger. But like if I'm in fire, fire symbol is one of the cards I am most excited to see. And the reason I mentioned how prevalent they were is my feeling that maybe people are undervaluing how good fire symbol is in the fire deck. And maybe it's the fact that it comes in depleted and the fire decks can tend to be aggressive. And so people are more worried about it. But I think fire wants the symbols just as much as the time and the justice decks. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And also fire, um, Fire's curve is all sort of wonky, you know, like it's very good on two and then it's okay on three. Yes. Uh, you know, like, so so you usually have a turn where you can put your power into play depleted because maybe you're playing Flame Heart Patroller on two and then Flame Heart Patroller on three as well. <laughs> so <laughs> you've got time to attack for five with the first one and play the second one. You know, it's, uh, of course, depleted power makes things awkward sometimes, but... Um, just this, just the surge ability makes it, um, yeah, makes it so fire symbol. Play. No, I, I agree that fire is, uh, oddly, despite being aggressive, pretty good at playing with depleted power. Uh, and I also because understand the two drops are so. There's so many two drops. Yeah, you can end up with a ton of two drops in the Ricano deck. Like the the ones that I get just destroyed by seem to have an endless number of two drops, <laughs> <laughs> just like two drops, two drops, two drops, and then I attack you with for a thousand damage. It's like okay, okay I guess that's that's how you built your deck, and it worked very well. Yes. All right. For the uncommons, we both selected Oni Battle Driver. Yeah, this isn't like a slam dunk because Might Weaver also exists uh, and is very powerful, but Oni Battle Driver just sort of. Uh, just just as such a workhorse um uh, it's a it's a it's a three three for four fire uh it's its ability is once per turn you can pay two to give another unit uh plus strength equal to the number of units you have and overwhelm but that unit will sacrifice itself at the end of the turn um it that uh it's just sort of an endless source of damage at a certain point in the game. And it's one of the best ways to actually break through once your opponent has put up an effective defenses, but just by sending all of your two drops as, as little missiles to the face. So I'm always really excited to see a battle driver. And actually it's one of the reasons I go into fire. Like I don't go into fire because of the commons, because I don't like fires commons, but might weaver and battle driver are are usually the main reasons I'll end up in fire in the first place and then fill in commons so that I get to play those cards. Yeah, and um, in the in the spreadsheet, uh, it actually goes the other way where Might Weaver is the top uncommon and Oni Battle Driver is the second fire uncommon. Yeah, but it, what's kind of interesting is. They seem so, so important to uh, fire decks that we've actually have like more might weavers in decks in deck lists that we've received than the top justice or the top sorry the top shadow or the top primal card. So we we have more uncommons in our deck lists than either the top common or the of shadow or primal 
I see what you're saying. So we've had more we've had more might weavers in 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 winning decks than we have uh, whatever whatever. Let, let, what is what would this? I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, no, that makes sense to me because it is the main reason that I go into fire in the first place. Is I'll see a might weaver like second or third pick, and I'm like, well, that's too that's already too late. <laughs> fire must be open. <laughs> Just, and almost that for Battle Driver. I wonder if I, I wonder if I really do pick Might Weaver higher than Battle Driver. In practical terms, you never see the two of them in the same pack, so you never have to make that choice. Yeah. Um. And uh, so they're just they're both good enough reasons to go into fire by themselves. Um. But if I had to pick between the two of them, I guess it depends on the makeup of my deck at the time. Uh, yeah, that's the tricky thing. I feel like only Battle Driver weirdly goes into more decks than the might weaver so i feel like it's a safer pick early on before you yeah. really know the texture of your deck yeah like might weaver isn't as good in something like sky crag or whatever whereas battle driver is amazing in sky crag so it's uh it, like it'll go in a wider range of faction combinations but i'd say probably if you're in Rakano or stone scar i'd rather have the might weaver off the off the top yeah uh yeah yeah, and then if you if if we want to talk about the embarrassing truth, the uh, the top primal common and the top shadow common are both their symbols. Oh sure, okay. Well, that's that's interesting. Yeah, it's not even close for the other three. I don't even, know what, I don't even know what to do with that information. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like I'm not going to go into shadow or primal because I see a symbol. Yeah, I know. So, and then after that, it's warple cutter. Um, for Shadow, and then way down the list is Linry Evangel. Yeah. Okay. But it All was right, funny well, we'll because Meagle uh, just gave me the top five most, the top five comments, and I was like, oh, could you just extend the list until you get to the top Primal and Shadow? And then he's like, well, the, fir- the top Primal and Shadow are both symbols, and then I just had to keep going and going and going. So there are <laughs> So, uh, Linry Evangel, which is the top non-symbol primal common, is the 47th most common card. So there's 47 cards that appear more often than Linry Evangel, and that's the top primal common. Okay, that's interesting. I wonder what would have happened if they'd made mobilization a common instead of an uncommon. If Primal would have just suddenly been really good. It I been, think so. Because that would have helped. That at least makes their quadruple Primal card more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because Cheerful Shepherd is just such a bad card by itself. Uh, it's it's good. It's good. It's good synergy with a lot of things. But it's by itself so terrible that um, it takes a real leap of faith to... To jump into primal and then be like, and then know that the only way you're going to make it work is if you <laughs> if you get a mobilization, <laughs> like sort of a sad situation to be in. Uh, anyway, um, you want to hear look- this is this is we're going so off topic. Yeah, but why not? Who cares? This is all. I think this is all pretty interesting information. So even yeah, yeah, if it's yeah, not yeah. Oh, it's on the structure, but. Yeah. Since you mentioned Cheerful Shepherd, this is another thing I noticed. In uh, Primal Shadow or Falm, 
The number one common in Felm decks is Cheerful Shepherd. Yeah. The number two common in that deck is Beseech the Throne. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. So that, that that's uh, that's the only time Cheerful Shepherd makes <laughs> any list. It's in Felm. It's for the people that manage to draft Felm. Yeah. Well, it's valuable information for what you need if you do want a good film deck. You need fodder for your grizzly contests, and I guess that's it. And you need and you need card selection so that the the five good cards in your deck are easier to find. <laughs> so yes. you play the siege the throne and dig for them. Yeah, no, I actually that's a, I think that's a pretty good story of film. Yeah. Yes. So uh, yeah, okay. So sh- shall we move on to time? <laughs> Let's move on to time. Uh, it's time for time. My top three is number one, Apprentice Mage. Um, that's the that's the two two for two that gives you plus one max power. Number two is Blur Haze Worm. That is a one one for four time time with imbue. And when you play a card on your opponent's turn, uh, you draw two cards. That's its ultimate ability. And then number three, I put Forget, which is the one time fast spell with revenge that silences an opponent's unit. Yes. Yeah, my list is a little different. I don't have Apprentice Mage on my list because while I think Apprentice Mage is a good card, I I just keep having the experience in my time decks where I have way, way too many twos. Mm-hmm. And so I guess Apprentice Mage is just like not a card that I'm worried about not getting copies of if time is open, Um, even though it's, you know, ramping is important to many of time strategies, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, So my list is forget, blur, haze, worm, and disappear. And forget and blur, haze, worm is kind of, I probably pick blur, haze, worm more often than forget, um, but I think I overly pick it, which is why... And more often at the end of my decks, I wished I had more forgets in them and fewer blur haze worms. Is yeah, I, how I, I I'm usually happy if I have two blur haze worms. Like that's usually the number that I want in a time deck. Yeah, and with forget, it's either one or two. So I guess I would have to put forget below blur haze worm for that reason. Because sometimes mm-hmm. I'm happy with one forget depending on how much other interaction I have. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I I don't know if this is totally true. Um but I guess I feel like since forget is sort of like interaction, I'm more worried about not getting one than I am the blur haze worm, even yeah. though you I would play more blur haze worms than forgets sort of. Yeah, that makes sense. Um and then I have disappear on here. Disip which is the 6 time 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 um, fast spell that says put a unit at the bottom of your opponent's deck. And I have that. I'm not necessarily first picking this because it's so heavy in time, but it's a card that all of my time decks want. And if I start seeing disappears late, it kind of draws me into time. I, I can see that. I, um, I have I have not been drawn in by a disappear or a smuggling tinker 
um, for a while now. Mm -hmm. uh, like they, I, I think of uh, I, one of the problems that I had at the beginning of the format is that I ended up with decks that were too where the influence was just too difficult. Yeah. And so I would constantly be losing to myself. And so m Disappear and Tinker, although they're definitely very, very powerful cards, have gone way down in my pick order. And even if I see them late, I'm sort of like, well, uh, only if there's nothing else in the pack am I going to pick it up. Because I just want cards that I'm probably going to be able to play. Um, and there's such a big chance that I'm going to cut or disappear from my deck if I'm not... If I'm not um, focused on time. That said, if I if I feel like time is super is super open already, and I see it disappear, I'm excited because it is a powerful card. But I'm not going to go into time for it because I've just done that so many times and not been able to play it in the final deck that it it feels like too risky of a pick most of the time. Yeah, no, I can see that. Uh, kind of along the lines of what I was saying. Um, in the most common cards in our deck list, Disappear is actually number four, and Apprentice Mage is number five. Yeah. Um, which is which I think is very surprising that Disappear as a six-cost card appears more times in deck lists than Apprentice Mage, which is a two-cost card. Because usually sort of cards that are lower on the curve have an advantage in that you're more likely to put multiple copies in your deck. But um, more than half the people <laughs> that are playing uh, Disappear, or I guess a lot of people who are playing Disappear are playing multiple copies mm. of the card, which is which is also interesting because that I don't think would be true in all formats of like a six-cost removal card being like feeling comfortable playing multiple copies of a really hard-to-cast six cost card yeah it is and also where this is a format where like aggressive ricano decks for example are quite good and uh so it seems like a risk to to pack your deck full of six cost removal um i had four disappears in one of my decks that deck did not go seven wins and one of the reasons is uh that so many of the cards in my deck were disappear <laughs> that I would get to the point where I was able to cast them and I would almost always be a little bit behind on the board and I would have to cast disappear on things that weren't major threats but I was going to lose to because I was already a little bit behind so yes. the I wasn't getting as much value out of the disappears as I would like to you want to use your disappear on the best card in your opponent's deck um, and I, I usually wasn't in a position where I could because the curve in my deck was all wackadoo because of disappears. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. But I also think that like Apprentice Mage being below disappear also kind of speaks to just the number of two drops that like that time has that such a good two drop is not its number one common. Yeah, well, there's yeah, there's there's um, there's what's its name the uh, the herbalist learned herbalist, um, which does has a very similar function. Yeah, and, and then also, there's the evangel that you also see, which I I agree yeah. is like not great, but like if you're you know it's it is a two drop, it does help you cast cards like disappear and um, the eight cost um, the omen scar worm, yeah, yeah. Um, 
For sure. Uh, I think uh, that's one of the reasons, and maybe I should have put just just gone ahead and put time symbol <laughs> as my number one here, too, because there are some very good reasons to just have time symbols. Um, uh, I would rather have a time symbol than a than a um, than a Grotov Evangel for for that reason, because it's easy to come up with enough twos in time. And if you can get that extra time influence without using it, uh, without using up one of your one of your two drop unit slots, then I think that's very it's sort of an efficient way to build your deck. Yep. And um, and unfortunately, in our in our deck list, uh, forget is below Sand Tornado, and how often it appears. Yeah, it's one of those cards where I really want one or two copies. Um, but then I don't want more than that, so it's a little bit hard to rank it because uh, I'm excited to see the first one, yeah. and then I'm like okay about the second one, and then if I start seeing a lot of them, I'm like oh, yeah. wish I hadn't wasted those early picks on it. Yeah, no, I I agree. And Sand Tornado is a weird one where the Zenin deck really wants all the Sand Tornadoes it can get its hand on. Yeah, but otherwise it's not a strong card. The, I've I've had plenty of situations in this format where I'm like, oh, this Sand Tornado in my hand is gonna do nothing. They're not gonna attack into it because they know I have it. <laughs> and it's never going to do anything at all. Yeah, you just gotta hold it long enough for them to forget. Yeah, that's pretty much the situation. Yeah, and most of the flyers in the format don't even die to it. That's one of the other problems with Sand Tornado. It's a two three, and the flyers that you're worried about are three threes. Yeah, and then we uh, we we mentioned this last week. We both have uh, Desert Alchemist as the top uncommon in both time and probably in general. Yeah, and uh, there's there's some other really good uncommons. Uh, Leyline Tracer would you know, would top a lot of lists if Desert Alchemist didn't exist. But, yeah, Desert Alchemist kind of does it all. Um, all right. Yeah. It's the all-important plunder and pseudo-removal. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on to Justice. And it's and it's and and it activates the, the, the cards that um, that activate when you play a card on your opponent's turn. So yeah. it just And there's does... some really powerful ones. Yeah. All right, Justice. Uh, my top three, Siphoner Paladin, uh, which we talked about last week. That was my card of the week. Uh, it's a 1-5 for three Justice Justice, and uh, its summon ability is you can sacrifice a unit and um, you make a 3-3 three, three relic weapon or give plus three, plus three to your existing relic weapon. Um, number two is Caravan Guard. It's a 3-5 for three justice, but it can't attack until you have five justice influence. And number three, I just put justice symbol because uh, <laughs> it's it's the surge colors, and I really and for ju- uh, because justice symbol is so good for caravan guard uh, and also chain whip bludgeoner because it has the surge ability and to just summon your smog wing tinkers like uh, and the imbue guy and the imbue guy, yeah, the um, yeah, the 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 oh. I wish I knew the name of it off the top. I don't of know, head. but it gains plus one plus one permanently when you surge. Yeah, uh, justice symbol is really good for like most of what justice is trying to do. So, might as well get pick up those justice symbols early, and then all of your other justice cards will be better. 
even for like Siphon or Paladin, you know, you play Justice Symbol on turn one, and then whatever your two drop is on turn two, and then uh, you don't have to worry about influence to play the Siphon or Paladin on curve. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I do think the fact that... I'm so bad with names. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Oric Official, by the way, is the card that... Yeah. Is the uh, card. Oh, yeah. Um, because Justice has the... Um, in the draft packs, the 2-1 that gives you a Justice Symbol when it dies, and it also has the weapon that gains you Justice Symbols, I feel like... You know, Justice does have alternate ways to gain Justice Influence, which could possibly mean that Justice Symbols are, you know, not quite as necessary as they need to be. But they also have a lot of Surge cards, so you might as well take them. Yeah. Um, but I did, I had number one, Siphoner Paladin. Number two, I put Chain Whip Bludgeoner. And number three, Smogwing Tinker. So... Uh, I both of these actually I haven't played Chain Whip Bludgeoner and Smogwing Tinker very often, but when I lose to a Justice deck, they usually play these two cards. Oh yeah, no Chain Whip Bludgeoner, uh, which is uh, two two with Aegis for for two Justice, uh, and it gets plus one plus one when you surge until the end of the turn. Uh, I've lost to it too, but when I play with it, I don't win. And so it's difficult for me to rank it highly, even mm-hmm. though I know it's potentially powerful. Um, because all of those times when it just sort of gets a weapon and then attacks in and then it's impossible to stop, uh, they seem very powerful. But if I can't make it work consistently, then I just don't, uh, I'm not attracted to trying to play that deck. And I know my experience is different than sort of the the general population's experience with that card. Um uh, but but my experience is my experience, so yeah. I'm, I've I've gotten a little gun shy around around the Rakano aggressive cards because I haven't been able to make it work very consistently. Yeah, no, I agree. And then in our in our deck list, uh, it, Justice goes number one, Chain Whip Bludgeoner, number two, um, Smogwing Tinker, and number three, Siphoner Paladin for how often they appear in decks. And again, kind of like Disappear, Smogwing Tinker, I think, is sort of the anomaly being a six drop and yet appearing more often than Siphon or Paladins in decks. Yeah. Yeah, I still, I don't know. I still don't think that uh, that knowledge would make me pick up Tinker any higher than I do now. Because uh, I think that once you know, once you're entrenched in justice, then you want to see those tinkers for sure. If, if you know you're going to be able to play them, but early on, if I'm not sure that my main uh, faction yeah. is going to be justice, then I'm still I still feel a lot more comfortable picking up Siphon or Paladin, or even Caravan Guard. Even if I'm not going to be able to attack with it, it shuts down aggro so effectively. I like having them in my deck. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think I mean. The chain with bludgeoner is not surprising. It's a two drop. You want a lot of two drops. Um, this is an effective two drop for people other than us. And yeah. um, and then you know we've talked constantly about how strong siphon or paladin. I guess this is just showing you maybe not changing your pick order, but tinker is worth playing. Oh, it, yeah. it's worth trying to play if you're I mean, if you're in that deck. 
There's no question. I mean, it's a giant dragon that heals you. It's yeah. <laughs> it's, it it's a, a good very card. powerful card. All right, and then for uncommons, um, you... oh, I chose Greenstone Officer. Uh, that's the two-two with imbue for for two triple justice, um, and it has life steal. Uh, and it also has an almost irrelevant ability in draft, where uh, where if it's not imbued on uh, on a unit, you can pay two and exhaust it to imbue it on another unit. Uh, in practical terms, no one ever kills the imbued the 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 unit imbued onto a, a greenstone officer, so that you have to reassign it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the problem is the most often time where they do kill that unit is when greenstone officer is attacking yeah and so and the greenstone they... officer is now gone because it's died in combat so you don't yeah. get to use its ability yeah exactly um yeah no this uh, yeah this is a kind of a, a a another card where when it's good it's like really good and like some decks just like all of a sudden you know your opponent plays a five five life steal for two and you're like oh not winning this game. No. And then other sorry, and then other times it's just like a Kodash Evangel, you know, if you're able to deal with what it's imbued on or whatever. And uh you know Yeah, it has the drawbacks that imbue has where it's a little bit weak to instant speed or uh, fast speed removal um on the on the on the unit that it's imbued on or just silence because then it silencing yeah. it just turns it into a two two so it's vulnerable like any imbue unit is but that doesn't mean the imbue units are bad uh by no. themselves yeah and then i picked emerald cat rafter i just this is the card that like i don't know i i hate playing against them most because you're just like if you don't kill it immediately it's just becoming a bigger and bigger problem when you do finally kill it. And you're like, well, I guess I can never attack into them again because I am not going to be able to deal with the consequences. Yeah, it's a, oh. definitely Emerald Crafter is a good card. It's a 3-3 three, three for 4, Justice, Justice. Uh, and then when it dies, it uh, creates a 1-1. One, one. But that 1-1 one, one grows in size every time you surge while the Emerald Crafter is on the board. So, yeah, you have to kill it early. And even if you kill it early, it leaves behind a 1-1, one, one, and then even that feels like a problem. <laughs> yeah. The only, the only thing that puts it below Greenstone Officer for me is that once the Emerald Crafter is on the board and it's attacking, you can kind of ignore it to some degree. Uh, it, it's going to do three damage a turn, but maybe if you've got something that you can attack in the air with or whatever, uh, you can race it. Whereas you can't race Greenstone Officer because it's gaining life every time it attacks. Um, yes. So I think it, it, it's sort of... They're clearly both great cards. Um, but uh, if I can play... If I have, if I had to choose between um, the two of them, I'd, I'm more excited about having Greenstone Officer in my deck. But it's mm. close. Yeah, I agree. But do you think like the Greenstone Officer also being a little harder to cast... Yeah, it's a factor, but you never cast it on two anyway. It's yeah, I know, sort of but even casting it on three is tough unless, you know. I mean, there's nothing to imbue it onto on three usually. Uh, or, I mean, sometimes there is, but yeah. then you're making like a 4-4 four, four or something with lifesteal, and that's fine, but it'll get outclassed eventually. Yeah. The the really scary greenstone officers are 
are like on turn four off of a caravan guard or something. So now yeah. it's a five seven. That's when, that's when it's good. Yeah. No. I, yeah, that's true. All right, and then on to primal. So, uh, so primal's commons are pretty bad, as opposed to justice's commons, which are almost all really good. <laughs> really, all of all of just I'm I'm usually drawn into justice by the fact that all of their cards are good, <laughs> uh, but in primal it's tough. Uh, so I chose spellbound earth sign for the for for my number one. Uh, that's the that's the three three with overwhelm and imbue for for five primal primal, um, just sort of a good meat and potatoes uh, big card. Um, not dramatic, but you kind of want them if you're playing primal because that's the thing that you actually punch through damage with, um, unless you have a bunch of flyers, which are a little bit hard to come by. Anyway, uh, number two, I chose shifting illusion, which is a one one for one flyer that has plunder, and uh, that's it. That's all it does, but I do think that if you're playing Primal, Plunder is so important that um, I tend to take Shifting Illusions fairly high. And uh, that influences my number three pick, which is a Yeti Taunt Patrol. It's a 2-1 for three Primal Primal, and it has Plunder. Uh, and then its Surge ability is that uh, your opponent does one damage to themselves. Um, and again... It's a it's a card with plunder and primal needs that very badly because <laughs> you have to you need card selection if you're playing primal so that you can get to the rares and uncommons that are the reason you're playing primal in the first place and kind of move past the commons that sort of enable your uncommons to get the job done. Um, also, Yeti Top Patrol is not to be underestimated because if your opponent doesn't kill it, then it's a two one for three that does an indeterminate amount of damage directly to their face, <laughs> and that that can start to add up over time. Uh, I'm not. I've. I, I like Taunt Patrol a lot more than I did at the beginning of the format because, of course, it's a two-one for three, and so it's not providing a lot of board presence. But it, if you just sort of treat it as sort of like a flyer that's uh, that's doing that's doing unblockable damage, and then occasionally can trade off for a two-two or something, um, but also plunders, then it, it, it ain't that bad. Yeah, so my list is pretty similar. It's uh, Spellbind, Spellbound Urzine, number one. Number two is Shifting Illusion. And then number three, I put it Hardy Warrior, which is the four primal 2-2 two -two that has a plus health equal to your primal influence. And um, I just put this up here sort of, it's in the same vein, I think, as you know Caravan Guard or your Card of the Week, um, Dune Diver. It's just a big blocker, and it kind of does what a little bit what you were saying. <laughs> it puts a blocker on the board and allows you to stay alive to get to the rares and uncommons in your primal heavy decks. Yeah, yeah, it does a good job at that too. Um, and even if it gets silenced, a uh, it's still a two-two. You know, it doesn't just die. Yes, like uh, primal incarnation. Um, which is sort of the the uncommon flyer that has strength equal to your primal influence. If it gets silenced, uh, it's now a zero three, uh, and uh, Hardy Warrior at least still gets to kind of trade for something. Yes, and it can get really. I mean, it can get basically impossible to attack through um, Hardy Warrior. It's uh, it's sort of it's it's sort of the backbone to a slow primal deck. The only problem with it is that it's competing for the four slot with some other good primal cards like Gale Prowler. 
Yeah, I guess I never played Guild Prowler, probably to my detriment. Um, I like him in Primal decks, just because yeah. there's all of these revenge spells. They they get to attack a lot. Yeah, I've just never been able to draft that. It's like Gale Prowler, for some reason, has been one of those cards this set, where whenever I'm not in Primal, I get past a dozen of them, and then every time I'm like, oh, I really want Gale Prowler in this deck, I don't yes. see a single one. <laughs> uh yeah, uh, I guess I've been lucky enough to to get the to get good Huru decks, and they're very good in Huru. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd rather have them than Mighty Warrior in Huru because you do want to be attacking in Huru, and and uh, and you've got your Valiant Leaps, and you cast Valiant Leap on something else, and uh, give that flying, and then the Gale Prowler gets flying because you cast a spell, and then the Valiant Leap does it again, and you're doing a huge whack of damage each time. So it's good. It's good there. If you're playing a more defensive deck, then the Gale Prowlers aren't as good because, of course, they're a three-one for they're a three-one for four, and you have to set up these complicated blocks if they if you want to uh, if you want to actually trade with anything. Yeah. Um, but if you're playing an aggressive primal deck, which Skycrag and Huru both are, then then Gale Prowler is awesome. Yes, I can see that. Um. And it goes well in um, if you ever do decide to play Felm too. I feel like that's one of the ways you can win in Felm is. Yeah, it's one of the ways. It doesn't grind as well as your Felm deck kind of wants to, because uh, it's easy to kill. Mm-hmm. But you gotta you gotta hit them with something. You can't just sit there and, and generate value for an entire game. Value doesn't win the game by itself. You have to gotta have something. Gotta have something that flies, probably. Yeah, and um, it, I feel like it. I mean, again, I haven't drafted this deck, so this is just theory crafting. But I'm just thinking you have a, you know, if you're able to get down a Gale Prowler and stay alive, and then you're doing all these value plays, playing all your revenge spells, and then you're just like chipping away with the Gale Prowler while you're while you're gaining value with all your other cards. It's kind of yeah, theoretically, how I imagine it happening. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what a good film deck looks like in this format, but I know that when I lose to good film decks, it's not usually because of Gale Prowler. It's because they like they they beat me to death with acrid scorpions, and then when I finally killed them, uh, killed the the scorpions, they they got brought back and given flying, and <laughs> that's that's how I lose. Uh, I lose yeah. to I lose to I lose to big flyers that have been generated over the course of a thousand turns so uh usually gale prowler is sort of uh not really part of the part of the mechanics of that but i'm sure i'm sure it has the potential to work what you describe it's just a lot of moving pieces yeah well i i also think you you've just had some traumatic experience with those scorpions i have had traumatic experiences with scorpions acrid scorpion I think is a first pickable card just on the sheer off chance that you might also get a vengeful flight <laughs> and then make two accurate scorpions. <laughs> All right. And then we finally have our first disagreement in the uncommon slot. Yay. Oh, my uncommon uh, is ancient serpent. That's the three, four for uh, uh three, four flyer. It costs, Six primal primal, uh, and when you summon it, you can bring a spell of your choice uh, from your void to your hand. 
And it's just sort of a classic value card. Your opponent now has to deal with a 3-4 flyer, but also you brought back the best spell from your void, and now you get to cast it again. And, uh, it, I mean, just sort of a, sort of a sheer, sheer value play. Um, I'm usually, usually pretty happy to pick one of those up. It's one of the reasons I'll be in Primal, even, because I know how, how, how strong it'll be in the final deck. Yeah. One clarification, it is triple Primal. Triple Primal, sorry, it is Triple Primal. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, by the time you need to make it, um, it's not. It's almost any Primal deck will be able to come up with it, and so I forgot. Yeah, exactly, because it's one of those things. Is like you do want to play this late game because you want to get value off of get yeah. getting a spell back. You don't so. need to play it on curve. If I'm playing against a Primal deck, it's one of the main cards that I hope they don't have because I know the main game plan there is to is to outvalue me. And then seeing the Ancient Serpent come down, it's like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. I've got, I've got two problems now. Yeah. Yeah, and then I picked uh, Cloud Snake Mount, um, which is the one primal O2 with flying and imbue. And then you can pay six and exhaust Cloud Snake Mount to deal two damage to an enemy. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a great card, too. Yeah. And I, I picked this. Mainly, I haven't played many Primal decks recently, but early on, I had a lot of success with Cloud Snake Mount. And so I'm sort of just basing it on the fact that um, there have just been so... There's so few cards in draft that can get like repeated value in at common and uncommon, and Cloud Snake Mount is one of those. Um, with its pay six to deal two damage to an enemy, so not just uh, not just a face, you can kill units with it, and then also the fact that you can just cheese out wins by imbuing early with a high attack unit on you know imbuing onto a high attack unit with Cloud Snake Mount since it just costs one, and then just yeah. hitting in. That's one of the. That's one. Yeah, it's one of the. I think it might be the actual cheapest imbue unit in the whole game. Um, so yeah, you can capture like a you know an attack with Flameheart Patroller or something, and 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 then just yeah, you cheese a win. So it is yeah, good that way. And, and not only is it the cheapest, but it has evasion. So that's yeah. a pretty pretty unique thing. Yeah, it has a lot of versatility that way. When it, if you've played enough Cloud Snake Mounts, and I think I have at this point, you realize that using that six power repeatedly is a huge drain on your resources. It's kind of hard to engineer a situation where you're free to do that. Um, but if you have stabilized completely, then yeah, you can pick away your at your uh, at your opponent's smaller units, and then eventually use it to go to the face. Although, usually your Cloud Snake mount is larger than two strength anyway, so you're just attacking with it. Um, yes. But it, but having the option is, is great, because there are a handful of utility units that you want to be able to just outright kill. And my favorite thing is to, once, I'm, once I have seven powers, to make this Cloud Snake mount capture something big, use the, the, use the, the zap uh, ability on that same turn, because um, then you've gotten the value <laughs> that your opponent was not expecting. Uh, that's nice. Uh, and also, I, my favorite thing about the card is how fast the animation is. When you zap with Cloud Snake Mount, it happens 
instantly. You're not, you're, you don't have to watch sparkles travel across the board or like have it or watch it happen twice. Like it's targeting. Now it's doing the damage. It just goes zap and you've done the damage and you're moving on with your life. It's great. More animations like that, please. Sorry. No worries. <laughs> I was really on a tear there. <laughs> <laughs> I think all right, the and then fastest utility animation in the whole game. That's great. Yeah, I th I think that is much appreciated, especially because I play mostly on my really cheap phone, uh -huh. <laughs> and so I, I need all. It's not cheap if you have to buy five of them. It's not cheap if you break one every four months, <laughs> but maybe I'll make it into the bloopers this week again. <laughs> hey, hats. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do go through an excessive amount of phones, which is why I get cheap international phones. Good, that's smart. Um, but they can play Eternal, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> they can occasionally play Eternal. I get, turns out I have to think a lot quicker than... So Shadow. who wants Shadow? Oh, who wants to talk about Shadow? But let's do it. I don't understand this thing with Shadow. It's crazy to me. Yeah? Shadow let's... has such good cards. I just don't get... Why Shadow's not showing up. Yeah, I don't know. I liked Shadow a lot at the beginning of the format, and then I lost with it a bunch, and then I started not drafting it that much. But, but it's when not... you just look at its cards, it's like... Yeah, they're fine. They're really good. They're fine. They're fine cards. There's nothing wrong with the cards. Okay, let's talk about... They're just so good. All right. Okay. Oh, right, me. Uh, so, so my top, my number one is Morphle Cutter. Uh, that's a 1-3 with Decay for 3 Shadow. And when it attacks, it gets plus strength equal to the highest strength among units that you control until the end of the turn. Um, it's obviously a better card on Aggression, but anything with Decay is pretty good. So that's, um, that's one of the things. And it can attack for a lot of damage for a 3-drop if you just drop, like, a, a big... Four. I'm saying drop a lot. Uh, if you have a big four drop, then Vorpal Cutter attacks for, for a ton. So, uh, good tempo card. Uh, number two, I put Grizzly Contest. That's the uh, three shadow shadow fast spell. Sacrifice one of your units to kill one of your opponent's units, and it has revenge, so it'll come back and do it again, whether you want it to or not. Uh, and number three is Midnight Hunt. That's three shadow uh, fast spell. Give your unit plus strength equal to your shadow influence and quick draw until the end of the turn. That has revenge, too. Yes. All excellent cards. Yeah. Real good cards. Why don't people like them? Yeah, and then my, my, um, my list is pretty close to yours, except I, I added another great unit to my list. So, number one, I have Vorpal Cutter. Number two, I have Black Hall War Leader. And number three, I have Grizzly Contest. Yeah. And by Black Hall War Leader, you, of course, mean? Lurking Brute. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially the same card. You You're think... getting a legendary at common in Shadow in this format. Yeah. yeah. I, that's, that is definitely one way of looking at it. And, of course, anyone would agree that Lurking Brute can get out of hand. It's a 2-2 it's a two -two for 2 Shadow. And when it uh, makes contact with opponent's face, it gets plus 1, plus 1 permanently. Uh, it can get out of hand real fast, of course. Uh, sometimes it's just a 2-2, two -two, though. So I, I am excited to see a Lurking Brute if I know I'm in Shadow and I know I'm going to be aggressive and I have some backup for the thing. And if not, then I don't know how to feel about it. 
it's certainly not a pull into shadow for me, and maybe it should be. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I just feel, again, this is a card that it can be blanked. I don't know. It's similar to me, not as good, but similar to me as uh, Teething Whelp was, where it's just like if your opponent plays this on two on the play, you're like in a lot of trouble. Or even just like when you're when your opponent plays it, they're like, I just can't let this attack because this is just going to slowly get out of hand. Yeah. Um, the only difference for me is that there were so many tools to make uh, teething whelp to force teething whelp through for damage in 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 the format where teething whelp was, and I don't think there are as many. Yeah, and this needs a hit face as compared to teething whelp, which was just a mastery trigger. So yeah. I mean, so that's that's obviously big. I'm I'm being a you know a little hyperbolic here, but oh no, but I've I've certainly been in games where an early lurking brute just won the game for free. That does happen. I'm just not entirely sure um, whether the free wins that you get off of it are worth the times when it's just a, a, a nothing card. Yeah, and I think it's you know it's definitely at its best in aggressive decks but like so is warple i mean warple cutter so you know, is warp cutter. yeah um but i agree i think midnight hunt is very close to my list and maybe i honestly haven't drafted a lot of lurking brutes but i, I think that's more of a function of not seeing them as often um so i guess i just was taking that to mean that everyone was taking them and playing them and it must be a great card, but well, where, how's it doing in the in the spreadsheet? All right, well, let me click over. Um, oh, right, uh, it's hard to know because Shadow is doing so poorly that <laughs> it's his list isn't long enough. But um, oh. Vorpal Cutter is it goes Shadow symbol Vorpal Cutter. Um, and then he cheated with uh, Makar Evangel and Thorn Beast. So it's uh, it's doing less well than Linrai Evangel, um, okay. which is not a great card. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, high risk, high reward card, I guess. Uh, I, I guess the... the I think... Uh, Shadow decks can be strong without being aggressive in this format. And so I think the decks that want Lurking Brute are sort of a small subset of the decks that are also Shadow. So I think that's a problem with it, because I, I would never argue that it isn't potentially a powerful card. Um, it's uh, it's just sort of in a it's just sort of in an odd spot where 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 Shadow isn't working for a lot of people for whatever yeah. reason. And do you think just Warple Cutter, since it has Decay, it can also sort of be used as a defensive card, and that just... It, it's more than that. It's that Warple Cutter uh, can be relevant later in the game. Um, just mm -hmm. uh, Like, if you just play something with a high strength, then Warple Cutter can just attack into your opponent's board. Um, it's never a useless card. Whereas yeah. Lurking Brute doesn't have that advantage. There's going to be a point at which it gets blanked and then it never gets to attack again. Yeah. Which, which comes as soon as your opponent plays a 3-drop. 
That's why you just play all reconnaissances. Yeah, that's fair. No, no, no. It's fine in the. It's fine in a in a, like a reconnaissance or uh, uh, spur on deck. Uh, if you've got a couple of those, then yeah. All right, and so our uncommons. Our uncommons. Uh, I chose Spirit Weaver for my best uh, shadow uncommon. Uh, that's the one three for two shadow. Uh, it has plunder. And then um, all of your units with five or more strength have life steal as long as Spirit Weaver is on the board. Great card, love Great it. Great card, yeah, yeah. I I probably should have picked Spirit Weaver. I picked Curtain Call as just the like. I think the best. I think the probably still the best common or uncommon in the in the set. It's just so strong if you're in a deck that can play it. Yeah, um, I think if it's in, I mean, if it's in Xenon, then Curtain Call is a no-brainer. Um, yeah. And it's still very good just as a mini-rally with Lifesteal. Uh, certainly helps you swing races and occasionally um, gives you an advantage in combat as well. But if I'm not in Xenon, I don't know how high I pick it. I, I like it, but there's cards I would take over it. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I guess maybe that's true. I guess I think... Um, even early in the draft, I'm current call is strong enough that I'm willing to take a flyer on it. I guess sure that's fair. Um, and since I guess I don't know, I don't know if I were up against it. I guess I probably would take the Spirit Weaver, but Spirit Weaver kind of also has a certain deck that it wants to go into. Um, but that's maybe true. it's definitely it's, better in some decks than others. But anything with plunder on it, you know? Yeah, no, that's true. Like I can well, have t- I can have two units in my entire deck that can that have five strength natively, and I'm still like, yay! I have a spirit weaver. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's not to say that curtain call is a bad card. It's a great card. <laughs> just and also all of these discussions about uncommons are pointless. Like if you have a spirit weaver and a curtain call, both of them go in the deck, and you're never gonna have to choose between them when you pick. So uh, I don't think it's possible to. I'm not sure how uncommons work, but yeah, I don't, I don't know either. I, I don't remember ever having to pick between a spirit weaver and a curtain call or any yeah. other single faction uncommon. Though I feel faction. like it's possible, but I, I don't, I don't want to make any claims. Yeah, I'm not, sure, I'm not entirely sure about that. Uh, so it's, it's a rare choice that you'll have to choose between spirit weaver and curtain call. Both good cards. All right. So then to close out this segment, I thought we would just because. Especially because talking about Felm was kind of interesting. I would go through the other nine faction pairs and just kind of talk about what cards are showing up most in those. Okay, great. All right. So um, we'll start with Rakano. Um, this one, I think, is pretty obvious. And uh, Meagle's list also includes, as you heard me mention, uh, some of the draft pack cards, too. But uh, Rakano looks like it's being... Uh, pretty aggressive. So the number one card is Flameheart Patroller. Number two is Chain Whip Bludgeoner. Mm-hmm. And number three is Shavka Evangel. Yeah. Yeah, just load up on two drops and then push them through for damage. Yep. Uh, then um, next is Skycrag Fire Primal. Number one, once again, Flameheart Patroller. Number two is Frost. Yeah. And then number three is Shavka Evangel. 
That's interesting. Um, that makes sense. Because Skycrag, I've had some success with more than I have with with Ricano, oddly enough. And you do want to you do want to attack pretty aggressively with it. Yep. And um, the interesting kind of thing with with Frost is Frost is not in like for example every Skycrag deck, but it is the people that are playing it are playing two or three copies. So it's a yeah. card that is showing up. It's like clumping, where the decks that are playing it are playing multiple copies. So it's averaging over two copies per deck. Okay. In the decks that play it. That's interesting. Because I would probably want two Frosts in a Skycrag deck, and if I were playing more than that, I would feel like... I, 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 I don't think I would want to. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but it's a very strong card especially aggressively because uh, you you mess up double blocks you just sort of shut down your opponent's units selectively it's it's a good card um but and it's and it's better in skycrag because you do want to be attacking so i don't know uh that's interesting that's an interesting tidbit yep and then uh fire shadow so um stone scar is the top three commons are vorpal cutter then Red Mask Warrior, then Flameheart Patroller. I'm happy to hear Red Mask Warrior on that list, because I do I do think that card's really important for Stone Scar, so I'm glad it's showing up in the numbers. Yeah, Red Mask kind of... Warrior is a cheap way to raise the uh, the amount of the highest strength on the board, so it makes things like Vorpal Cutter better, like dramatically. Yeah. And that's what's kind of interesting is because Stone Scar can be a very aggressive deck, but it seems like it's trying to go a little bigger than the Rakano and the um, Skycrag decks. Is that, in your experience, what's been working for you? I mean, I guess so, since I've been mostly playing the five attack matters. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you're just trying to be, a, yeah, like I just said, just a little yeah. bigger. Fewer hits and bigger hits. Yeah, exactly. And these cards are kind of showing that. I mean, obviously, it still does have Flameheart Patroller on there because you do want a two-drop, and and Flameheart Patroller is a good, very good two-drop, I think, in both instances, in that it can attack as a 3-3 three, three, or it can just block as a 1-3 and sort of block your opponent's 2-2s. Two sure. So, all right, then next is Fire Time, Praxis. And the number one card is Disappear, number two is Apprentice Mage, and then number three is Shavka Evangel. Okay, well, Shavka Evangel feels a little bit weird there, uh, but otherwise that is sort of supports Praxis as kind of the kind of the ramp deck and the big spells kind of deck. Yep, and so it seems like all, all those Disappears that we were talking about earlier... Um, a lot of them are in Praxis. That makes sense. Which is kind of interesting, um, because in Combray, where you would also think Disappear would be way up there, it is. Um, but in Combray, the number one card is Smogwing Tinker, then Disappear, then Chain Whip Bludgeoner. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if Smogwing Tinker and Disappear are in the same decks. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is not necessarily true, and this is kind of what we talked about earlier with Flameheart Patrol and Rakano decks. It's like only half the decks 
only half the Rakano decks have a Flameheart Patroller in them. And it could very well be that we have enough Combray decks that they're sort of two styles. They're the, the Smogwing Tinker style and the Disappear style. And it's just that the, the, that the decks that have them have multiple copies and that just raises the overall number of the cards. Right. Um, not necessarily that everyone's playing uh, two different uh, quadruple faction cards. No, but you, if you're playing Combray, you do need you do need to to start throwing throwing haymakers at a certain point. Um, so, uh, whichever faction you're more focused on, you want to either have Tinkers or Disappears. I guess uh, that's been my experience drafting Combray, which I've done quite a bit at this point. Is um, you'll sort of want to focus on the time direction if you have like an omen scar worm or or allosaurs or that kind of thing and then you're then then that's sort of what you're going to be trying to do um and justice is more there as like a stabilizing influence with your early caravan guards and that kind of thing um but if you have more justice and it's easier to make justice influence then then your top end is those tinkers and and uh and time is is sort of there i don't know what time is there for you know, it's it's just sort of your second faction, honestly. Um, you kind of you gotta well, try. It. What's what's weird to me is like I would think it was there for the um, oh geez, for the two two. Oh, for um, the apprentice mage. For the yeah. apprentice mage, and yet um, f- uh, Flameheart patroller is is uh, is higher up than the apprentice mage, or whatever it's called. Chain Whip Bludgeoner, sorry. Oh, right, Chain Whip Bludgeoner. The Chain Whip uh, Bludgeoner is the sort of the two-drop of choice. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that's that's probably because that's probably because the Justice deck sort of has, like, Badge of Honor and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, so that you're making all of the Justice influence you need so your Caravan Guards and your Smogwing Tinkers can, can come into play. And if you're already playing Badge of Honor, then you might as well play Chain Whip Bludgeoner because Chain Whip Bludgeoner with a Badge of Honor on it is terrifying. Uh, so I think it's probably for that reason. Yeah. But I don't know why that deck is Combray specifically necessarily, because um, I know that I don't personally put my Chain Whip Bludgeoners in my Combray decks. <laughs> yeah. But I can see why it would happen that way. Yeah, no, and you know, and I think you can't always make a coherent story out of these. I just think it's interesting to sort of theorize. Yeah, so. I like to try. Exactly. Um, all right, and then next we'll do Justice Primal or. Arjunport? No, that's not Arjunport. What is that? That's Huru. Huru, yeah. Oh, Justice Primal, duh. Huru. Um, so number one, uh, Valiant Leap. Of course. Yep. Number two, Chain Whip Bludgeoner. And number three, Siphoner Paladin. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting that Siphoner Paladin has shown up for the first time, I think, on these faction pairing lists, right? Yeah, though the only justice we've done so far is Rakano. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. Oh, uh, Rakano and Cambrai, I guess. Um, and um, yeah, and then if we go into Justice Shadow, um, which is Arjunport, then number one is Siphoner Paladin, number two Copperhall Porter, and number three Ravenous Thorn Beast. You can see, yeah. I think that paints a picture. Yeah, it does. Argent Port, when it's good, is about the sacrifice energy. Yeah. Um, 
And then <laughs> I, I love this. <laughs> uh, in film, um, like we said, cheerful shepherd beseeched the throne and then frost. Okay. It doesn't really know what it's doing. No. No, it's sort of like hanging out for a while until it draws its uncommons and rares is what it's doing. Yeah. Actually, Frost and Gale Prowl are, are tied. Okay. Um, so. Oh, okay. Well, that's, so that's, that's kind of like what I was saying earlier with maybe yeah. you're just like. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, I just haven't been able to make film. I haven't been able to bring film to a seven win result yet. So uh, it, it's hard for me to visualize exactly how the whole thing works yeah all right and then um in elysian time primal uh number one is learned herbalist number two is spellbound urzine and then um tied for three is apprentice mage and yeti taunt patrol oh nice to see yeti taunt patrol uh pick up a slot sort of my pet card for the whole format. Uh, yeah. yeah, um, I've had, I think Elysian, I think a, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Elysian, I said that there's not really much of a theme to it exactly, but you do end up with some sort of powerful cards. And, um, I think that's sort of, I think that, I, I think that's, I think that this list sort of backs me up on that, but probably we don't have a lot of Elysian decks contributing to the spreadsheet either. Right. No, here, let me look. How many Elysian decks do we have? Yeah, t just 12. Yeah. So uh, not our worst, but not our best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's... Uh, that. What was it? What was it? It was... Uh, um, uh, Spellbound Ursine was first? No, it's Learned Herbalist, oh, learned Herbalist. Spellbound Ursine, and then Apprentice Mage. And, you know, like, Learned Herbalist makes kind of sense in this deck because it does have a minor... Um, transform theme. Sure. Uh, but that doesn't count as a transform, though. That's a discard. Oh, you're right. Okay, it's a discard it and then create. Yeah. Uh, but having Apprentice Mage and uh, Herbalist there says that if you're playing um, if you're playing Elysian, you're probably trying to ramp to some degree. Yeah, and Spellbound Urzine kind of makes sense to me because you want, you know, it's nice to put Spellbound Urzine on a on a big unit and uh time provides yeah. that it is it's also kind of nice to just put spellbound earth sign if you don't have anything else around on one of your on one of your ramp dorks because at least you get a five five with overwhelm out of that yeah no that's very true you can put it on yeti tom patrol and then you don't have to worry about having a three cost two one and you yeah. can still ping for damage yeah you can you can do that <laughs> and then Yeti Top Patrol gets the right of bear. <laughs> Just all that Yeti Top Patrol wants, really, is to is to yell insults and ride a bear. And then uh, our final faction pairing is Xenon, and uh, the Xenon order is Apprentice Mage, Disappear, and Rollins Enforcer. Yeah, well, that's the. Uh... That's mostly the 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 whole ambush um, spells on your opponent's turn theme. That's the only time Roland's Enforcer is really good because you really need ways to activate it consistently. Otherwise, it's a one five for five, which is not great stats. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that Apprentice Mage is important in a Xenon deck is not a surprise to me because it really is a deck that plays from behind if it's 
trying to be fair because all of its units are smaller than what your opponent is playing. So you need to you need to play them early, and Apprentice Mage lets you do that. Like going Apprentice Mage into Blurhaze Worm is is pretty good, but yes. if you're playing Blurhaze Worm on four and then playing your Enforcer on five, like you haven't added a lot of presence to the board. You're probably getting run over. But Apprentice Mage lets you do that all a turn early. It's neat. Yeah. Yeah, and playing, I think once you get to four, I'm just like nervous playing a Blurhaze Worm because uh, I feel like my deck really wants the card draw and then to just like play it without having a way to trigger it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, it's tough if you if you uh, it's tough if you're playing a Blurhaze Worm and you don't have a way to immediately trigger it. For sure. Uh, sometimes you're in that position, though, because you had to play whatever fast spell or ambush unit was in your hand to not die until turn four. So that's the trouble with the Xenon deck, is sometimes you're you're just constantly trying to stabilize for the entire game. Yeah. All right. So I think that was a pretty good, pretty good list, pretty good episode. Yeah. Good breakdown of things. Anything else you want to say? Uh, no, there isn't. <laughs> Music to my ears, Hats. Music to my ears. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so I guess we'll end our show there, then. That's the commons of set nine. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever write a five-paragraph essay in school? Just say what you're going to say, and then say it for a while, and then say what you said. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so thanks, thank you to all our patrons. Thanks to all our listeners. Um, for those of you who are not patrons but still want to help support the show, uh, a few ways to do that is give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can join us in our Discord and join the discussion there. There's a link in the show notes. You can also thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. And um, another way is just to send in a whole bunch of 7-win deck lists um because it gives us stuff to talk about things to do and it's just kind of fun to look at all the deck lists and you know especially if you post them in discord have a little you know some back and forth about it and stuff so i think it's just like a a fun activity to partake in yeah and also everyone gets to see that you won because otherwise it's you're all alone (laughs) you get seven wins and and that's it there's no You don't get to tell anybody. This way you get to tell somebody. It's great. Exactly. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Good night. Goodbye. Good night. Goodbye. You guys are full of bloopers tonight. I don't know how to talk. Wow. (laughs)